copy, shift box. Okay, radio check. Yeah, radio is working fine. Yeah, copy all personnel. Yeah, copy, mate. The chair in the vet bag. Yeah, stitch her up then, thanks, mate. Yeah, right, copy that. Right, we've got a bit of an American feel for this one. How exciting, Pete. Good afternoon. How it's great that? to be here. Sorry for the accent. Oh, well, hey, by the end, I'll give you an hour with me. I reckon I might have it fixed by the end of it. I've been here years. It still hasn't. I haven't caught it. Wonder, yeah, some people are like that, aren't they? So I, want, I wonder if I would adopt an American accent if I went to the States. Because I'm a bit of a follower, I notice myself follow other how people talk. Mm-hmm. So I reckon I would, and that'd just that'd be just detrimental to the life of mine, brain, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, it definitely <laughs> would. It's Australian right. through and through. Right, Peter Morris of Corporate Story Time of recently Corporate Story Absolutely. Time. Absolutely, that's a story in itself. It is a story in and of itself. So the reason I'm here is because of the podcast. Oh. Imagine that. Imagine that. So, so what happened was I was actually on my way back to the East Coast of Australia from Diggers and Dealers. And I was searching for, I was listening to a podcast covering a Canadian mining company. I was looking outside at the Southern Highlands thinking of Vancouver. I thought, this doesn't make any sense. I need to find some local content. And I'm a huge podcast junkie. And I found yours. I saw the logo. I didn't know what it was at the time, and I started listening. And then a few weeks later, Corporate Storytime came on, and the story really resonated. You have two guys who have extensive capital markets experience, which is really critical for this industry. They made a big, took a big risk of starting their own firm, leaving successful careers, and it seemed very attractive and i've been here a month it's been a great experience every every day i have new ideas it's just more interesting it's a great team and our skills are very complementary so it was because i listened to the podcast i contacted lucas who started the firm luckily the first interview was right after the game when Frio had this massive comeback against Western. So I talked to him right after that. He was in a good mood. And that, and <laughs> Look that, at the and, and that And that kicked things off, and here I am in Perth. There you go. Well, life of mine's standard referral fee is a keg <laughs> of swan draft. Just okay. Let, 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 <laughs> yeah. It's pretty, pretty cheap. Yeah. Yeah, so that's uh, – and oh, that would go good for my Christmas party, actually. So. <laughs> right, I Pete. Let's go back to the bloody start, mate. Yeah. Tell us a bit about yourself, where you were born, and your career progression to today. Okay. In uh, the medium to long all right. I was I was born in Connecticut, but I moved to Texas when I was young. In fact, I grew up on top of the Barnett Shale, which was the first natural gas shale, the first shale in the United States. In Texas. That was in, in Texas. Texas. Yep. Yeah, North Texas. And that... Perhaps that led me to a career in commodities. So my entire career really is focused on investments, investing in commodity companies. So commodities are really my passion. I've lived in areas that produce energy, grains, and now metals here in Australia. In addition, I lived in China, 
Hong Kong, where the main demand center is. So my, my passion is natural resources and commodities, and this is a great place to be. What are the In Texas, what's the landscape like for um, natural gas and oil fields, all that in Texas? What's it? Is it very pro? Um, is it a rich area for it? Yeah, it's the Permian Basin and unconventional oil has propelled the United States to be the largest oil produce in the world. So oh, shale is itself. That right? Yeah, so, so it's bigger than Saudi. Everything they got more. Yeah, when it's when it's producing at full rate, it is. So yeah. it's really transformed the entire industry, and it was the development of fracking technology which occurred in the Barnett Shale when I was growing up. So it's had a massive impact on the industry, and the reason I'm here is because I see a similar thing happening in Australia, in Western Australia, and Perth in particular. The energy transition is one of the biggest changes that we'll see in this world, I think, and that will transform metals in particular. And there's no better place to be for that than in Australia and Perth. What I tell people is Perth is to energy transition, battery metals, what Houston was to oil and gas, namely a global center. So this is one of the main reasons that I'm here. So is that the oil and everything in, in and around Houston? Where is it? Is it in the desert? Is it yeah. in coastal areas? or it, it, It's farther west. It's obviously not in the bloody coastal it, areas. I mean, water areas. It's probably yeah. about 800 Ks northwest of Houston. It's probably 600 Ks west of Dallas. Yeah. So it's in the middle of nowhere. What's really interesting is when I was in the gold fields for diggers and dealers, I looked around. I thought, this looks exactly like West Texas. So I pulled my phone out. I <laughs> turned the video on, got my family on the phone and showed them. And they said, yeah, some of the, the flora is different, but it looks the same. And Kalgoorlie sort of reminds me of midland odessa which is really the center of the energy industry in west texas because my first thoughts of oil mm -hmm. and probably most australians because we're probably we're very ignorant to what's actually out there no, um is you think big oil barges out in the middle of the ocean yep. like or offshore oil yeah whereas this uh what was the area called you said the permian basin permian basin that's just in the middle of the de big massive oil production in the middle of the desert is it yeah it's it, there's there are very few people out there and because of that it makes it easier uh to to drill wells so how did you then gravitate towards the finance industry was that your first stop uh once you become a big boy and an adult <laughs> I'm an accountant by training, so I spent some time with PricewaterhouseCoopers, a short stint there before going to business school. And then after that, I entered the investment industry. First, during the commodity super cycle, I was with a firm called Waddell & Reed that was acquired by Macquarie last year. I was an energy analyst there. I also looked at grains. Waddell was based in Kansas City, which is really the center of wheat production and corn soybeans are nearby so that gave me a background in energy as well as grains i moved to hong kong and for 
when I was there, I looked at Southeast Asia, including investments in Indonesia and the Philippines, which are also big mining areas. Later, I joined Franklin Templeton, where I was the global oil field services analyst, as well as an Asian energy analyst. And Franklin Templeton was, was a great place. It was one of the pioneers in global investing and was one of the first in that industry. So I was there in Hong Kong. Then I saw a great opportunity here in Australia. I'd visited Australia in coal mines in, I think, 2005, and I thought it was a fantastic place. And I heard about various opportunities there, or here now, and found a way of getting down here. So I, luckily I was able to qualify for permanent residency arrived here and i'm very thankful every day to be here tell me something about oil like oil is something it's one of my little gray gray areas okay extremely gray i'd say nearly black (laughs) (laughs) very dark area of of knowledge yeah how does the oil the world of oil work compared to say gold pros like is it a purely is it the same supply and demand as a uh, base metal like as a commodity as as lithium or does the whole world with with the OPEC and and everything does that or these this big cartel of oil producers yeah. like does the whole world oil price is it a totally different kettle of fish it's different in that you have OPEC and they've done a much better job over the past six years since they started with cuts and various other measures to to control the price uh, gold some would argue that gold is also controlled by various people but i'd say one of the things that differentiates oil is you have this cartel of of producers with opec the global production of oil is roughly 100 million barrels per day opec itself is roughly 30 million uh, opec plus is over 40 so you have uh, OPEC controlling a large proportion of global supply. How much is coming out of USI, like Texas? If you include that? liquids, so some of these natural gas shale plays produce liquid in addition condensates and various things. It's around 15 million. If you include that, if you just look at oil itself, I think it's 11, a little less than 12, but I may... I may have my figures off a little bit. And so who comprises OPEC? Saudi, Iran? Saudi, Iran, Iraq, UAE, uh, Nigeria, um, Libya, although they're not part of the the current agreement. But you're basically the GCC countries and Iran are really the, the key drivers of it. Have you noticed, what have you noticed in Australia? Is there much appetite for investment in the oil and gas industry or compared to mining? No. no the, 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 the one resource that Australia doesn't have <laughs> is oil. So there aren't that many companies that produce it. Australia is endowed with a tremendous amount of 
resources, natural gas, iron ore, lithium, gold. It's a top five producer of the, some key critical battery metals. Doesn't have oil. So it's, that's the one area. But the exciting thing for Australia going forward is that is EVs become a much larger proportion of the fleet here. The country will be less reliant on imported oil and um, more commonly refined oil products. So that, that'll help the overall economy. You sounds like you've been around. What's some of the most exciting stuff you've done? Like you've analysed a lot of things besides <laughs> working at corporate story time. That's the most <laughs> exciting thing. But what would your silver medal go to? The the great Take your thing, pick, I guess. A lot of exciting things, I assume. I, the job of an investment analyst is I wouldn't characterize it as exciting. <laughs> it's sitting at tables like this, interviewing and to a certain extent interrogating management teams, which is great. I've had the opportunity to talk to very famous CEOs to understand their businesses, to understand which their strategy. Some of the notable ones, for example, I, I had the opportunity to sit down with Jeff Immelt, who was the CEO of GE. That was an interesting experience. We we were there when, this is with a group of my colleagues, but we were there when Google did its IPO. So Eric Schmidt came in. But there have been various opportunities to meet executives and high-level politicians. That's That was the fun part of the job. In terms of excitement, the benefit of being an energy analyst is the site visits. So one of the more memorable ones was hopping on a helicopter going out into the gulf of mexico landing on a drill rig that was drilling a deep well deep well for shell in the southern gulf of mexico near the mexican border uh, and there were many opportunities it, it's fun to ju jump on a helicopter but that strangely it was one of the more memorable tours that I made that really led to this interest in mining. I, I had the opportunity to, to visit with time was Phelps Dodge, now Freeport McMoran, one of their copper mines. And I just remember. Was it Gras actual Grasberg? The one in No, West this Park, was right? in Arizona. Oh, this right, is in yeah. Arizona. So oh, we, Freeport. And, yeah. Yeah. So we, ho we hopped on their, their, their air, small aircraft. And I just remember we landed on this private airstrip in the middle of the desert and it was just perfectly silent. It was one of the sort of an odd thing to just land in the middle of nowhere. And then they took us up to this gigantic mine. We looked at the heap leach pad. It was, a, it was an interesting experience, but I think that was the experience that was the initial trigger to take this path. And what what drew what I guess besides the silence did you like the as an investment did it, was there something that mining attracted you to mining rather than energy? It, it, it's it, you were asking earlier what the difference was or is between gold and say oil. To me, it's the it's the this the supply and demand dynamics. 
the ability to model supply and dyna demand dynamics for the different commodities is really critical. If you understand the direction of the commodity, then there's a good chance you'll get the investment thesis correct. So uh, looking at commodities is analyzing supply and demand, finding the opportunities within that. I think geology is very interesting and you put that all together and, and that's why I'm fascinated by this industry and why it's such a great thing to be here in Perth. So where'd you start sinking your teeth in the morning, the investment analyst side of things? Where would you, where did you I carve was, your path? You'd I, say? I, I wouldn't, most of my investment career was in energy. So it's one of the motivations for being here was to understand it better. So here you're just inundated with information about the industry, especially in here, here in Perth. So you pick things up, you learn, you can drive around, you can see the mines. And that's what I've tried to do over the past couple of years. But we tr the, the advantage I think we have here is we're able for our clients, we're able to look at the companies and having that investment background that I have, that Lucas and Steve have, we can identify how people are looking at the companies and identify what issues investors may be missing and then communicate the message in such a way that people fully recognize the opportunity and the value that they provide having the capital markets background uh, aligns us more i think with management teams who are looking at raising money who need to fund exploration programs so where does your american network come into play which yeah i think would be a big part with um capital markets yeah let me shit load of money over there yeah so here i, I there, this is my mission there, there are two key facets to it the first is what i call bridging the pacific so it, it seems to me that mining is fairly bifurcated in other words you have investors in north america who look the u.s they'll look at canada here People tend to look at Australia. The, the opportunity for Australian companies is the capital markets in, the, in North America, the US in particular, are much, much larger. Uh, exploration companies outside of lithium and a few other areas are struggling to get capital. The US has plenty of capital. Uh, the, size of the equity markets in the United States versus Australia is they're 20 times larger. The challenge that I faced is a resources investor in North America was lack of familiarity. So it was easy to get news on companies in Canada, the US, Australia was more of a challenge. We could easily meet management teams, we could visit mines, we could do other things. Australia was more of a challenge, the tyranny of distance. The role that I wanna play here is to help bridge that distance. It's just an issue of familiarity. 
making people in North America comfortable with the opportunities here. What's exciting is Australia has some of the best resources in the world. Australia has some of the best geotalent in the world. My goal is to communicate that to an investor base sitting in North America. And because I was an institutional investor for over the course of two decades, I, I understand how they see the market and the goal is to tap into that. The second part of the mission is to bring in more institutional investors. So explorers in particular are funded by retail investors for a capital intensive industry that doesn't make a lot of sense because retail investors can be fickle, it can be difficult, and they're not investing large sums of money. I view mining somewhat similar to venture capital on that maybe one out of 100, one out of 1,000 projects is really successful. So you want it high risk, high reward. Institutions can do that. So my background is working for large financial institutions, getting them interested in it. And I think the money wants to flow here. This shift toward retail investors to institutional has already happened in the energy industry and I've witnessed it. When I was growing up in Texas, it would cost half a million US dollars to drill a well and you could finance that with a group of local doctors, dentists, and other people. What happened is that now a shale well cost at least seven million US dollars. As a result, the industry is now dominated by large corporations. In the 1980s, there were many private companies. Now it's all listed companies who need to raise hundreds of millions of dollars in order to finance drilling programs. The situation in Australia is different, mining is different, but I think that the industry mining will follow a similar trajectory. There's an absolutely massive opportunity for critical metals uh, for gold, and Australia is extraordinarily well-placed, uh, second largest gold producer in the world, going to the first, one of the top five in terms of a couple of the critical metals. The money from North America, I think, wants to go from a trickle to a flood. Australia is a huge beneficiary of what's happening. As I mentioned, great resource, great geotalent. And in the US in particular, there's a focus on Australia and Canada. So as part of the Inflation Reduction Act that was enacted earlier this year, in order to receive a credit on EV purchases, the metals must be produced in countries that have free trade agreements with the United States. If you look at nickel, the only two countries in the top 10 producers that have free trade agreements are Australia and Canada. You add on to that recently, uh, well, earlier in the year, the U.S. Department of Defense is part of the Defense Production Act, allows the Department of Defense to fund mines. And it's not just mines in the U.S., it's mines in Canada, it's mines here. So if you have a project that's reached feasibility, the Def Department of Defense in the U.S. has a program to fund that. It's early going, but I've heard that one particular 
nickel company in Canada is already looking into that. This raises awareness of the industry here in Australia. I think that triggers more of the money to flow. Earlier last month, or actually in October, GM made an investment, Stellantis made an, an investment in projects here. This is just the start. And the industry needs a tremendous amount of capital in order to, to fund all these mines. Oh, how many mines are sitting there waiting on capital at the moment in Australia? Shitloads and well, across the world. Well, it's amazing. The, the International Energy Agency has a report that said there are more than 50 mines needed, I think, for, for lithium and I believe it was graphite and similarly with nickel. They, new mines by 2030. Mm. Oh, and they reckon eight escondidas for copper, yeah, which it, is just it, not even possible. It, it's just not amazing. Australia or anywhere. So with the resource here, you just need the capital. And the capital, for, bat, for many of the battery metals, it's there. Gold has not been there. But the, the outlook for gold is good as well. Inflation's high. Uh, if the U.S. were to shift to a gold standard, the price of gold would be multiples of where it is now based on an estimate using the U.S. gold reserves. Well, gold gold's definitely a lot a lot easier for capital-wise compared to like, you know, like yeah. all, especially like compared to like your nickel laterite projects right. that are just sitting there that are massive, massive capital intensities. Yeah. Um, oh, there, I was looking at one yesterday, Arafura, I think mm -hmm. it was, Rare Earth. So that's like one and a half billion dollar capital requirement. So the yep. IIR, IIR was 18% on that yep. for a 30, like big, big capital. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't think people recognize that. I, I just think there, there will reach a, lithium's had this massive run, but I think people will recognize over the next couple of years how important this is, how much capital is required. And you'll see money flowing into that area and what our role is to is to help help that money flow by communicating by increasing the familiarity people have with projects and companies here so when, when you're on the insto side in america yeah how much was what was your link to australia investments like who was who's your contact how do these opportunities come across your door? Do, is it the Australian MDs and CEOs coming to America? Is there a third party that's the meet and greeter? How does it all work? We, we had various sources of information. The, the flow of, of management teams through, uh, through, the, through our office wasn't, uh, wasn't as great as management teams from from other from the united states certainly but we we could access various news sources sell side research uh, we could find our own sources of information and do our due diligence uh, and then it involved hopping on a plane and flying here but as i mentioned it's just e it, it's it was easier to fly to canada and visit a uranium or potash mine that was just easier than going to the other side of the world things i think have changed a little bit and there's a there's more information flow so by serving 
is a catalyst to increase the familiarity that investors there have. I think Australia, tier one jurisdiction, great geology, great talent here. The money will will want to come here. And given what the U.S., the emphasis the U.S. government has placed on Australia as a supplier of these metals, it will give people comfort. Who's got the big money in America? Is it, what's the spread? Is there like just a heap of big institutions? Is there a lot of medium-sized ones? Where's it all tied up? Yeah, I don't, have a, I don't have great statistics, but there's been a, a massive amount of consolidation. And for example, where I worked, uh, Franklin Templeton, when I was there, they managed 900, eight or 900 billion. They wow. conducted- <laughs> It's a lot of money. Yeah, it, it is. But it's important to remember the context for this. First, the U.S. population is 13 times Australia's population. So yeah. this, you have to, on a per capita scale, the differential is not as great. The other thing, too, with Franklin Templeton is there, at the time, there were 30 offices around the world. So uh, their assets under management are include assets from other parts of the, the world. But... The large ETF funds run trillions and trillions of dollars, uh, and that's been where the growth in the industry has been over the last twenty years. Wow, that is like that is a huge amount of money, isn't it? It is. Who's some of your biggest? Um, who would say your biggest investment? Like your big instos are in most notable instos in America. By how much? Like, is it your big banks? Like, all? No, it's they're companies like BlackRock, which would be yeah. the largest. With their, they have a well, BlackRock and Berkshire. Are they your two biggest? Or? Well, BlackRock, I I should check this before saying, but it's I I, I want to say it's I think they run something like eight trillion. It's it's just a, a massive amount of money that they wow. run. But let me let me check that. You're talking multi-trillion kind of institutions that they're collecting money from around the world. Let's see. Yeah, ten trillion U.S. dollars. So. Not to use them as an example, but there's a tremendous amount of capital. And if a tiny percentage of that moves to Australia, it can transform the industry at a time when capital is constrained. I, um, yeah, we're just on a totally different level, aren't we? <laughs> Like just the the sheer size, it's like comparing yeah, it, underground mining to iron ore yeah. mining. Like it's just it's just a totally, but it's just different. Bigger is not necessarily better, and it reflects the population size. It reflects the 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 scope of these businesses. But it's a lot like where's the do super funds like as you said, Australian super's got about. 200 billion mm -hmm. in management are they a financial target 
for their like you know their more aggressive investment strategies for a smaller mining company are they uh, do mining companies target them for investment or only the blue they aim more look at blue chips in terms of where we want to target it it's more specialized mining com- or mining investors so in Canada for example there are more listed mining companies than in Australia from memory i think it was 1100 and i think here there's 700 so there's a huge pool of expertise in north america that can analyze the geology of these various deposits in australia so the goal is to connect australian companies to people like that who may be focused on areas in canada whether it's golden triangle triangle newfoundland other places like that and say hey take a look at this i think for example looking at gold if you look at gold grades in nevada for example they're very low but if you're processing a tremendous amount of of dirt you can make money doing that you look at ore grades here for surface mines it's much higher so the idea is compare and contrast you look at what's here, wow, better resource and interesting opportunity. We don't know the company, we're not familiar with it, and that's where we come in at corporate story time and try to explain to people what's happening. So the expertise is there, it's a matter of connecting investor and company, and that's this Pacific bridge. So take me through your, I guess, your game plan. So hypothetically, you've got a client, a yep. client that you are representing yep. as an investor relations. That client has a resource. They have a DFS mm-hmm. completed and which spits out they need uh, 500 million bucks in pre-production capital. Yep. And they're sitting there waiting for that. You're the wheeler and dealer. What is your process? I'd say necessarily that we're the wheeler and dealer. We're we're communicating a story, but essentially, in that scenario, well, perhaps not that exact scenario. But the goal here is to is to make people aware and familiar with the company beforehand, so that when the company needs the capital, there's an opportunity there and people can, the investors can participate, the company gets the capital and uh, everybody benefits. So it's just a matter of communicating the story, not necessarily uh, triggered by a capital raise or anything like that. It's uh, a lot of it depends on the average fluctuation of the stock price. What we wanna do is we wanna make sure that our clients stocks the value of them reflect all the information we for example yesterday we talked to a company and which is in my opinion incredibly undervalued so i can easily get to a valuation of 600 million they're trading at a 400 million market cap there's one particular exploration project they have that to which the market ascribes no value since they announced the resource the stock has done nothing 
So what we do is we would say, hey, people don't understand this. How do we communicate the potential of this mine to other people? And uh, that's, the, that's the challenge we have, and that's what we're setting out to do. So do you, I guess, serve the role of creating introductions between the companies you represent and American institutional investment firms or anyone with money over the, the, there? The goal is to, it's a multi-pronged strategy in that it's not, introductions can be part of it, but it's using various channels to get the story out there so that people have heard of it as I mentioned, institutional is my focus, but retail can be important as well. It's just a matter of creating the familiarity so people hear, hear about mines all the time. That information is not conveyed in North America. The goal is to get, it, get that information out so that you don't have these as i mentioned this client you don't have this value what i would consider to be a valuation gap we want to make sure that we're communicating in such a way that the full value of the assets being realized by the market and that's it's a communication strategy it's making sure that we're targeting that that communication to the right sort of audience and people here know the stories well, uh, the next leg of investors who are less familiar, I think, are in North America. So you're essentially corporate story time's secret weapon that they've got up their sleeve. Now the ace up their sleeve. I hope so. Peter that's Morris. that's that's the that's the goal. That's, the ace. I mean, the, the, the mission We're is bringing out the ace. North American institutions that's awesome, to, to help to solve this what I would call a capital conundrum. It is a capital conundrum, isn't it? Companies not getting the capital that are here. Uh, there's there's money in North America that I believe wants to flow into Australia. It's just a matter of communicating these stories, and that's what we're here to do. Yeah, you can bloody flow a bit into my pocket too, mate, from North America, <laughs> so feel free. They're always open. <laughs> Thanks very much for that, mate. That was a good, no. little bloody, a good little intro and recap yeah. on your very interesting yeah, I enjoyed Life it. Career very diverse. Louis learned a bit about oil, a bit about plenty about money. I love talking about money. <laughs> Shit, I love money. Yeah, just got to find it first. <laughs> Absolutely. No, it's great. And thanks Excellent. very much for um your uh, I guess your kind words about being a fan. So I, I love it when people actually listen to this. I'm a huge <laughs> fan of this podcast. I, I listen to I listen to all the episodes. So sensational, right? No, well, that was great, mate. And uh, look, what's your best way to, if anyone just wants to get in touch with the ace himself, what's your best, uh, how do they want to get People can reach out directly via email. My email address is peter at corporatestorytime.com and corporatestorytime is all one word. Sensational, mate. You on LinkedIn? I am on LinkedIn. Grab you on LinkedIn too, mate. Your followers are going to go through the roof after okay. this. <laughs> good on you, mate. Look forward to uh, some plenty more chats in the future. We've got plenty more, a good little, good little knowledge base to tap into there for anything uh, American related. I look forward to it. Thanks. Good stuff. Thanks, brother. <laughs>